This is the parable tonight of these invitations that the host gives to a great banquet. And the interesting thing about it is Jesus was actually attending a banquet when he told this story about a banquet. We know that from 14.1. Jesus is at this banquet. And we know it must have been a really posh affair because in 7 to 14 of the chapter, Jesus tells a story and says, don't take the best seats and then publicly be asked to move down to lesser seats. Take the lower seats and then be asked to move up to the better seats. So people must have been clamoring for sitting at the head table, if you will, at this banquet Jesus was attending. And it's right in the middle of this that there's this one person who says, blessed is the one who eats bread in the kingdom of God. And it's at that point, at a banquet setting, where Jesus publicly tells this story that we're going to be examining tonight. It's in Luke 14, 15 to 24. Luke 14, 15 to 24. And I'm calling this study the call of God's kingdom, the ultimate test of life's ordinary activities. The ultimate test of life's ordinary activities. Luke 14, 15 to 24. Grab a Bible and let's study this parable together. Luke 14, starting at verse 15. When one of those who reclined at table with him heard these things, he said to him, that is to Jesus, blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. But he, Jesus, said to him, and here's the parable. A man once gave a great banquet and invited many. It's a big affair. And at the time for the banquet, he sent his servants to say to those who had been invited, come, everything is now ready. 18. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said to him, I have bought a field and I must go out and see it. Please have me excused. And another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen and I go to examine them. Please have me excused. 20. And another said, I have married a wife and therefore I cannot come. So the servant came and reported these things to his master. Look at this. Then the master of the house became angry and said to his servant, go out to the streets and lanes of the city, bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, and lame. And the servant said, sir, what you have commanded has been done, and still there's room. 23, and the master said to the servant, go out to the highways and hedges and compel people to come in that my house may be filled. 24, look at this. For I tell you, none of those men who were invited shall taste my banquet. It's surprising. You would think this proclamation in verse 15, this one person, 
Blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. He seems to have his head screwed on, right? The big thing is the kingdom of God. After all, all of Jesus' parables are about the kingdom of God, getting into the kingdom of God, how the kingdom of God works. So here's this one person, while everyone's clamoring for seats at the head table, here's one guy who seems to have it right. It's the kingdom of God that matters. But things take an ugly turn. They frequently do in Jesus' parables. Jesus launches publicly in front of everyone at this banquet setting into this parable about being invited to enter and partake of the kingdom of God. And specifically, Jesus nails down, focuses in on the apparent lack of interest that people have in the kingdom of God in spite of the things they say, like this guy. Blessed is the one who eats bread in the kingdom of God. And the parable shows it's not enough to talk about the kingdom and how nice the kingdom is and how nice Jesus is and how great the Christian faith is. We're meant to see this contrast between people fighting for the best seats at this supper where Jesus is physically attending. We're meant to see the contrast with that and people who just made all sorts of excuses when it comes to really entering the kingdom of God. So that's how all these things connect together. People love hobnobbing with the well-to-dos at the affairs of this world, the red carpet stuff. They fight for the best seats. They'll sacrifice everything to get in. But even though some religious people proclaim, verse 15, blessed is the one who will eat bread in the kingdom of God, Most people, when it comes to using their actual time and energy, have other pursuits that take priority. That's the story. Point number one. Here are some of the points Jesus is really trying to make. Point number one, finding God's kingdom through Jesus Christ is the greatest discovery a person can make. So in this parable, coming into the kingdom is like being invited to a great banquet. So it's, it's a picture of something satisfying, exciting, fulfilling. It just seems Jesus over and over again labored to correct false impressions about his reign, his rule in our lives. Talk to people outside the faith who examine Christianity and look at the church and look at Christian people and they constantly view God as just putting up boundaries and rules and keeping people from doing what they want to do. So it's it's a big minus. God is out to just take away from the joys of life. He's viewed as being stern, demanding. And then we hear Jesus' words about taking up our cross, losing life to find it. And they interpret those words to mean somehow the Christian life has to be a joyless drag. And so Jesus here, he, he stretches human language to argue the opposite. Remember, he, he, in his stories, he says, finding God is like coming home from being lost, like the prodigal son. It's like finding buried treasure. We studied that. It's like finding a pearl of great price in our story tonight. It's like coming to a banquet when you're really, really hungry. And the common ground for all those things is the joy that comes 
with discovering God through Jesus Christ. Jesus said, that's why he came. John 15, 11, these things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. So that's the first point. Finding God more than anything else is like coming to a great feast when you're really hungry. Point number two. Without exception, in Jesus' story, the people invited to the banquet didn't really want to come. Not really. The parable makes this this point in verses 18 to 20. Look at these words, Luke 14, 18. But they all, every one of them, they all alike in the same way began to make excuses. First said, I've bought a field. I must go out and see it. Please have me excused. Another said, I've bought five yoke of oxen. I go to examine them. Same thing. Please have me excused. Another said, I've married a wife. Therefore, I cannot come. Now, remember, remember, Jesus launched into this parable right after, in verse 15, right after someone actually did say at this banquet Jesus was attending, someone did shout out this Blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. And that's what prompts Jesus to launch into this parable. He's trying to show that great verbal appreciation is often given by people who don't really want to enter the kingdom. You can praise the kingdom without allowing the kingdom to reorganize your life and press into it. That's the whole point of the parable. I mean, it's fine to talk about God. It's fine to know all the worship courses, close your eyes, raise your hands, feel like you're getting blessed. All of that is easy. That's not the same as pressing into the kingdom. It's fine to tell others that Jesus means everything to you and that they should come to Jesus too. But many times those words can be uttered by all sorts of people who who don't press into the kingdom when there are other commitments. That's why Jesus tells this story. What good is it to praise the kingdom if I'm not actually pursuing the kingdom? And yet, it seems in this parable, here's what Jesus is trying to emphasize. He says this is a very a very uh, constant problem, a very universal problem problem because in his host in the parable people can't find one person who will drop everything and come to the banquet that's the way Jesus tells the story the searchers go out and they try and find people to come and all of them make excuses I have an old book by Marcus Dodds a wonderful old commentary on the parables and And he talks about this parable, and he talks about the people who found excuses to turn down the invitation to the banquet. Here's what Marcus Dodd says, this quote. That which exhibits the true character of these men is their actual treatment of the present invitation. Not what they said about it, Not the flattering terms in which they replied to the host, but their conduct when summoned to come 
right away to the feast. It is this conduct and this alone which marks off the real friend of God from him whose false devotion causes him to spout, blessed is he who shall eat bread in the kingdom of God. We're all prepared to utter such sacred sentiment. But pious contemplation of heavenly blessedness is one thing. The entrance into such habits and pursuits that enable us to participate in the kingdom is something else. That's a great quote. So they all made excuses. Point number three. The excuses that kept the invited from the banquet seemed necessities in their own minds. So Jesus identifies three excuses in this parable. A, the first one says, I have bought a field. Notice he's already bought it. I have bought a field. I must go out and see it. Please have me excused. Verse 18. Now, it's unlikely this was the first time this man had opportunity to see this land. He must have at least glanced at it before making his purchase. If he didn't go himself, he, he must have at least had someone else put this deal together for him. The purchase has already been completed. I have bought it. The deal was done already. So, so where was the urgency, the deadline in seeing this land right at this moment? I guess maybe we can't blame this deal maker. Certainly, this is the most exciting part of the venture. Now that the land is his, he can, he can go see it. He can divide it up into, into lots and subdivisions, plant his crops. I mean, this is the part of the project he's been waiting for since he first saw the land. This is what the purchase was for. Now he has it. So, so perhaps when the invitation first came, this man wasn't committed to such vast endeavors. It's not that he doesn't like the idea of going to the banquet. He'd still like to maintain good terms with the host. He's polite enough. It's just the invitation doesn't seem quite as doable now as it was maybe before he was such a successful landowner. That's the point. Things are different now. I mean, there's only so much time. He now has other obligations he didn't have before he closed the deal. This is the way life piles up, isn't it? And certainly the host will understand that. It's nothing personal against the host. Loves the host. Wouldn't hurt him for the world. Under better circumstances, more relaxed circumstances, he'd probably come. But now, unfortunately, Necessity just compels him to look after his property. The call of the kingdom is felt as an interruption now. It's an interruption now. And that's the point at which his devotion to the kingdom is tested. Regrets. Please have me excused. B, the second one, verse 19, I have bought five yoke of oxen. I go to examine them. Please have me excused. It's easy to read that quickly. Most of us can't understand the sizable investment this would have been in Jesus' day. Not an ox, not a team of oxen. It says five teams of oxen with fitted yokes. This was the 
uh, capitalistic dynamism of that day. This would enable a man to do whatever he wanted to do. Obviously, opportunities were awaiting, calling this prosperous, aggressive entrepreneur. He was positioned to do what others could only dream of. And after all, big opportunities like that, they don't come by every day. They don't last forever. You got to strike while the iron is hot. And, and this is surely Jesus' point, the call of the kingdom, again, is felt as an interruption. The banquet might be fine for other people who had the time. Certainly, there's nothing personal against the host. Please, please have me excused. I got, I got an iron in the fire. I got stuff on the go. Is this sounding familiar? C, verse 20. Another said, I have married a wife, therefore I cannot come. We need to look at this a bit. I think this is the most probing part of Jesus' parable. He he specifically, I mean, the first two, land, oxen, I mean, this is capitalism. This This is making stuff work in the real world, getting ahead. And then Jesus twists it and talks about family relationships in the family. And I think he does it intentionally. And the point he makes is family commitments and kingdom commitments are two commitments, not one. You can have a great relationship with your family without helping your family have a great relationship with Jesus. Atheists work on family relationships. He does this because he knows, he knows when, especially Christian people, when they want to duck out of responsibilities to the Lord, no one will, no one will criticize them much as long as they have family stuff. Family commitments are the option of choice for religious people who don't want to feel guilty about ducking responsibilities in the kingdom. I mean, think about it. Why would Jesus deliberately include domestic obligations, home commitments, in this parable at all? We can all relate to the materialism of a person who puts land and oxen and cars and investments and stocks and bonds and businesses. We can all relate to the person who kind of loves wealth more than the kingdom of God and the danger of that. We get it. It just doesn't seem possible, does it, that family commitments could be just as dangerous. Jesus obviously has this in mind in this parable. I I think many Christians picture those two commitments, family and kingdom, as being exactly the same thing. And they aren't exactly the same thing. They're related, but they aren't identical. Now, I risk being misunderstood here. Let let me try and explain again. Many Christians feel that anything done that is good for their family is pleasing to God automatically. And I would submit to you that that statement is close to true. It's very important, family. But it's not quite true. Rather, anything I do that is good for my family 
that doesn't compromise my commitment, my primary commitment to God, is pleasing to God. Let me give you just some obvious examples. It's a good thing for me, for someone in the home, to provide materially for the family. The Bible commands it. But if I work overtime every night to give my kids the best clothes, the best education, the best cars, everything that money can buy, to the point that I never have time to pray for my children and take them to church regularly, I'm not doing anything good for my family. It's good for my family if I spend relaxing recreational time with them. It's nice if I can afford to take them camping or go to Disneyland or to Wonderland. But if I do all those things and do them every weekend so they grow up uninvolved in the church or in youth, I'm not pleasing God, even though I'm doing a lot of stuff for my family. I'm not pleasing God. I think here's the point. The very best thing I can do for my family is to show them that God comes absolutely first in my life. Just as I want God to be absolutely first in their lives. We have to show them that truth in practical and sometimes costly ways. Take them to the beach on Saturday. Don't take them on Sunday. Take them to visit Grandma and Sarnia on Saturday, not on Sunday. Make them pray and read their Bibles even when they'd rather watch Netflix. Teach them to invest in missions, not just to buy video games. Don't just have a great relationship with your kids. Teach your kids to have a great relationship with Jesus. Sorry, I can't come into the kingdom. I've got a wife. See, my relationship with my wife is safest and best protected when it's second to my relationship with Jesus. If I put her first, I lose my relationship with Jesus, and I probably damage my relationship with my wife. Second things are supposed to be second. When you put them first, you lose what should have been first, and you lose what's second as well. Point number four. In each case, the activities were good enough that those invited to the banquet, they were certain that the hosts would understand their other commitments. That's the way Jesus himself tells the story. He fixes it the way he wants to fix it. I mean, it just seemed fair that the hosts would just let them off the hook. They had totally justified their excuses in their own minds. Please, please have me excused. They didn't feel guilty saying that. They didn't feel condemned. They felt fine saying it. Didn't look like any big sin was being committed. It never dawned on any of them that the host would actually, listen, that the host would actually expect them to drop those other activities to come to the banquet. They never thought that through. But that is what the host expected. It's what God still expects. Seek ye First, the kingdom of God, Matthew 6.33. This is Jesus' point. 
That's exactly what the host expected. In the mind of the host, not one of those excuses had any substance. Not the land, not the oxen, not the domestic home relationships, none of them were to get in the way of the kingdom of God. In the mind of the host, not one of those invited guests had any reason other than the pursuit of their own desires to stay away from the banquet. Mark it down. Here's how Jesus tells the story. He said that the host was furious with each one who made an excuse. It's in, it's in Luke 14, 21 to 24. You can read it yourself. So the servant came and reported these things to the master. Look, then the master of the house became angry. He didn't understand. He didn't accept their excuses. Said to his servants, go out quickly to the streets and lanes of the city. Bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, the lame. 22, the servant said, sir, we've done what you commanded. There's still room. And the master said to the servant, go out to the highways and hedges and compel them to come in that my house may be filled. 24, for I tell you, none of those men who were invited shall taste my banquet. In Jesus' story, not one of the guests considered it a big deal to be too busy to enter that banquet. They didn't think what they were doing was sinful. See the blindness? It never seemed to register with them that they were losing the kingdom completely simply by being too busy with other things. But that's what was happening. Not one of them got into the banquet. The host didn't understand their excuses. He didn't see them as legitimate Those people weren't as compelled to stay away as they thought. They simply didn't want to come badly enough. So, here's what happens. This parable really picks up the theme of the pearl of great price and the buried treasure in the field, because in each case of those two, it is treasure, it's wonderful, but you you have to sell everything you have to buy that field. You have to sell everything you have to get that pearl of great price. That's what Jesus is saying here. You you can't marshal excuses and just assume that the host will understand. It doesn't work that way. It's a severe kingdom parable. Again, Marcus Dodds in his book, he says of this parable, quotes, it speaks to all who would shout, blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. And it searches out the heart behind such praise. What is it for which we will defer any other engagement? What is it we will never, never forget? What is it, given the business of our days, that we shall never, never neglect? What is it which we will never find tedious or an unwelcome interruption? That is the true kingdom of your heart. Wow. That's a brilliant quote. And so Jesus tells this parable. And here's the thing. The parable exposes my own heart, doesn't it? And yours. The desires that many people have for the kingdom of God are mostly sentimental desires. Just giving God a big hug. 
And those desires must be tested before they can be revealed as genuine. And God will see to it that my kingdom desires get tested. His invitation will only be issued on his terms, not ours. And and that's the message of this parable. Don't allow anything to function as an excuse. Not the busyness of your days, not the accumulation of wealth, not the commitment you have to all sorts of family things. Put God first. And if he isn't put first in terms of my time, my time. Most people would far rather give their money than their time. If he's not first in my time commitments, he's not first at all. And and here's the thing. If that parable sounds demanding, then please don't forget, when you sell everything else, what you do get is treasure. It's where the joy is. The joy is on the far side of the commitment. Let's pray. So many of your parables are so searching. This one speaks to all of us who would just say, blessed is the one who will be in the kingdom of God. Of course, the words can just roll off our tongues. It happens in worship services, in worship times, in songs, in in the things we say. Help us with our lives and our schedules and our commitments to press into the kingdom of God and never make an excuse to find joy unspeakable, full of glory. In your name we pray, and I thank you. Amen. Don't forget about Wednesday night. We have two in-person services, Sunday at 10 a.m., Wednesday at 7 p.m., children's ministries, study notes for everyone. Come and join us Wednesday at 7 p.m. God bless you, church. Love one another.